Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about corn rootworms and especially resistant corn rootworms. So it's a little discussion about seed traits, insecticide, and what you can do to manage around corn rootworms. We will also take your calls and questions throughout the show. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to call in. Or you can email us radio at agphd.com. We'll get to the Ag PhD mailbag in just a minute. Before we do, I'll just say the first confirmed rootworm resistance that we know of in the United States was actually, believe it or not, found in the same section, the very section where we are broadcasting today, the Morton Studio. So one of our neighbors had some corn go down, and so our people went over to take a look. It's in the same section as our farm. And anyway, what they found is, yep, it sure enough was resistance. Now, the way they proved that resistance is the USDA and South Dakota State University took these, they found worms, and they basically grew them out over a period of three years It was three years before they came back and said, oh, yeah, there's resistance here. In the meantime, people were suffering. And this is back when we had just the single trait BT. Today we have double trait. So that's what we would look for if you're going to use a BT rootworm trait. Make sure it's got two traits. So we want double BT protection there. Even then, we believe there is some resistance. Well, we know there's some resistance out there. So that's why we're talking about this today, especially because there are a lot of people right now who are very optimistic about the corn price, in part because we're all, it feels like today, very pessimistic about fertilizer prices, right? No one likes the way the fertilizer price is, so a lot of people said, well, unless corn price is really, really good, I'm not going to raise corn and spend all that money in fertilizer. Well, guess what's been happening to the corn market? It keeps going up just about every day. I've been taking a look here for the last few weeks. So now we have over $5 cash corn locally here for next fall. So when I start thinking about my 2022 crop and I go, you know, we're probably going to get some rain this year. (laughs) We had almost nothing this last year. We're probably going to get some rain, so we're going to get back to 250 bushel yields times $5. That's $1,250 an acre gross. So it's like, okay, you know what? So what if my fertilizer bill went up $150 an acre? I still could actually make some money. But if I'm raising corn on corn, which we will on our farm, we'll probably have 1,000 acres of corn on corn, we're not only going to have to go smart stacks, we're going to have to put out a good strong rate of insecticide as well. And the other thing a lot of people talk about is spraying post-emerge to control the adult corn rootworm beetles so then you don't have as much pressure the following year. The other thing, and we'll talk about it throughout the show today, I'm sure is volunteer corn. Make sure you are killing your volunteer corn immediately, not four weeks after you see it, immediately. Because as soon as you see volunteer corn plants out in your soybean field, guess what that's doing? It's hosting corn rootworms. And if you don't kill it soon, those rootworms get the chance to complete their life cycle and you missed out on the rotation. Everybody talks about, oh, corn, soybean rotation. Well, don't forget that most, a lot of, I shouldn't say most, a lot of Western corn rootworms lay their eggs now in bean fields. A lot of the uh, the northern corn rootworms, the, the green beetles, they 
have delayed diapause. So their eggs don't hatch for two years. And then for everything that actually does lay its eggs in that same field and they're going to hatch that next year and you try to rotate to soybeans, if you don't get that volunteer corn under control, you got a problem there too. So for all three reasons, uh, this corn soybean thing, it's it's not the same. Now, if you want to go corn and two years of soybeans or corn and a year of soybeans and a year of wheat, now that's a whole different deal. But I'm just saying uh, beating that rotation is what a lot of these rootworms are good at. So anyway, we'll talk corn rootworms during our show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. All right, first one comes from Chris in central Iowa. He said, I seeded down some alfalfa this spring, and the grasses took over most of my stand of alfalfa. I did plant a blend of clover and orchard grass, and since it was a drought year, I made sure I got a pretty heavy dose of potash and boron on along with some micronutrients. Now, I planted a top-quality brand of alfalfa seed, got off to a good start, and, uh, and then in the summer we got the barnyard grass and the alfalfa. So I'm just wondering... What's a good herbicide to use in alfalfa just for future reference? Or should I not spray in a young stand and or plow it up or start over? What would you do if you had alfalfa filled with barnyard grass? Grass doesn't really worry me that much. We have great grass killers like Clethodem, for example, or Select Max would be the name brand. That's the best way to go. Use the full rate. It will kill your grasses. But the big key is spraying early because every day that you let those grasses live in your alfalfa, it's another day that your stand is effectively going to be hurt. And the big difference with alfalfa and a lot of these crops that we raise, like corn, soybeans, wheat, alfalfa is a perennial. So we want to keep that stand very healthy and vigorous so we have a great stand the next year and a great stand the next year so we can, we can achieve good tonnage out of that alfalfa. So anyway, in the future, I would start with Eptam, use a half gallon to the acre, if not even four and a half pints, and make sure you incorporate it immediately. But then post-emerge, hit it any time you need to with clethodim. Otherwise, Roundup in Roundup Ready Alfalfa. All right, thanks for the question. Got this one from Larry. He said, I'm not a farmer, but I listen to you guys often. I'm a do-it-yourself lawn guy, and my soil CEC is between 8 and 9. Now, you guys talk about it being lighter soil if it's under a 10 CEC, but I don't literally feel like it's that light. Are you talking about texture or are you talking about holding capacity when you say Holding light? capacity. Holding capacity. At an 8 or 9 CEC, your soil can't hold much. But let me just say this. I, I'm assuming you pulled a representative sample, but maybe you didn't. So what we're always looking for is, like, let's say we're pulling 6-inch soil cores. Make sure you get an even amount all the way down to 6 inches. You pull a few cores, throw that together, and there you go. You didn't just take one soil core and send that in for analysis. Take a few in that area. That'll be representative. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, Here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. 
It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Weeds rob you of yield potential, so rob them of the chance to grow with powerful corn herbicide solutions from Corteva AgriScience. Weeds won't know what hit them, but you will. Because you can count on all the top corn herbicide products, including Resicor, SureStart 2, and Keystone NXT, to effectively control weeds, you can spend less time worrying about unwanted yield-robbing plants and power on. Learn more at poweroverweeds.com power. Keystone NXT is a restricted-use pesticide. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about corn rootworm resistance on today's show. And yes, we're mainly focused on BT resistance. But you know what? There are some chemistries that get used to try to control rootworms, just not used on as many acres as they probably should be. So we'll talk about some of those chemistry solutions as well. Plus, we'll take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Sit down to Nebraska. Got Brandon Shroggy with us right now with FMC. Brandon, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Well, good, good. Okay, uh, you've got a few solutions here for this corn rootworm issue. How big a deal is the resistance problem in Nebraska right now? Oh, it's getting pretty bad. Um, the reality is, is that there isn't a single BT trait or toxin, I should say, that doesn't have some level of resistance documented somewhere. That's not to say that all of our stack traits aren't working, but the resistance to all four of those BT toxins is present. Um, the other issue is we're seeing an extended diapause. We're seeing later emergence windows. I was seeing gravid females this year starting in June all the way through the middle of September in the same field. So it's definitely going to take an integrated approach. All right, so you've got a lot of different solutions, and I know when we talk about capture, LFR, or, or different formulations of capture that you could put out there, what are you seeing for some differences? Because it's not just, uh, well, I have to be set up to do an inferro liquid anymore. It, it could be a Thrive 3D system or, or any other option. Yeah, there are a number of different options. And so, you know, whether it's capture or ethos through the LFR platform um, with fertilizer or water, or through the Thrive system. Um, we still have a number of folks who will still chemigate on Brigade, uh, but the big push is gonna be, like I said, an integrated uh, management style, using those BTs, using the inferro um, control mechanisms, and then of course, trying to manage that adult population with Stewart. All right, so talk to us a little bit about use rates. And this is something I, I was talking to an agronomist about a month ago down in Nebraska, and he said, you know what we're going to do with capture? We're just going to jack our use rate up to the maximum use rate. Is that a standard thing that you see for heavy rootworm pressure? 
So it, it can be, yeah. As you go further west in the geography, especially towards the Front Range in Colorado um, or even northeastern Nebraska where there's just a lot of feedlot operations, a lot of corn on corn, um, guys are seeing a consistent performance when they take that rate to 10 fluid ounces. But because of the, you know, some guys are using twin rows or 20-inch rows, uh, we are able to go up to 17. And so that can be a really effective way to maybe overcome some potential resistance concerns. But we don't want to just rely on that at plant. You know, that's going to help basically protect that crop, get started, um, remove any issues with uh, root feeding and lodging. But if we're going to control that population, we've got to use other tactics as well and not just over-rely on the one chemistry. All right, talk to us a little bit about this Thrive 3D system. Now, we've got one on our farm, and I can share my observations too, but you get to work with so many farmers. What have you seen with the Thrive 3D system? Are there any updates for it this year, and and what kind of performance did you have this last year? Yeah, so the the performance has been spectacular. What we find is we get almost a little bit better coverage within that furrow and near that seed zone. But the idea here is, is time. Um, and time efficiency, water efficiency. So 90% of that carrier volume is air rather than liquid. So that means we're having to haul around less pounds of um, water. We have less planter weight. Um, so it becomes very easy to mix um, relatively quick. Um, and not, you know, say we get rained out, we don't have mixtures in place because we have a separate product tank and a water tank. The idea is to just kind of make all the stress that's involved with planting season, just to make some of that a little bit easier by something that's high, uh, highly effective and a lot more easy to work with. All right. Then one last question for you. We've had quite a few growers that we've talked to here just in the past couple of weeks now talk to us about Zyway and getting some pretty decent performance on disease. Uh, what about a Zyway capture combination? Is that something to look forward to coming up for this year? You know, as far as a combination um, in, a, in terms of a premix. Um, I don't know if that's something we'll have in the near in the immediate future. I mean, no but pressure here, Brandon. Know. No pressure at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but we can definitely tank mix. You know, we know that we have the compatibility to go with the Zywale LFR with um, the Capture or the Ethos type products and the fertilizer. So you can get your ba- you know the bank for your buck going together. Um, that's certainly not an issue. Um, and then if you happen to go through the Thrive system, we are making some expansions um, with that particular system. Um, we probably won't be in place for 2022. But we are going to have a, the capability to go with multiple applications on that one unit. So, yes, the Zyway, the Capture, it's a great way to take care of a lot of our insect and disease concerns right up front at the beginning of the season. All right. Hey, one last question, Brandon. I, I don't know if we talked about this the other day or not, but uh, with Zyway, did you see anything on tar spot at all? I know that wasn't like your focus here with coming with Zyway, but just wondering if you happened to get any trials out where they had some tar spot. Yes, we did. And we do have activity. Now, that being said, it's probably going to remain to be an unlabeled pest because, you know, in in my role, we're not going to say control unless we're confident we can get high levels consistently. And so we're still working through some of that. But we know there's activity, and we know that there's really no fungicide option that's a one-shot cure-all. But we have seen a lot of data that shows that using Zyway up front and then properly timing the second application is going to be really effective on tar spot. All right. Uh, great stuff as always. Got Brandon Shroggy here with FMC. Brandon, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Yes, sir. Thank you. Let's head out to Illinois. We got Lance Tarchioni. Tar- oh, I said that kind of funny. Today. Tarchioni, how you doing, Lance? Sorry. Man, does uh, anybody else mess up your name? Uh, every every time, every day, everyone. So uh, <laughs> do, not, uh, do, do not feel uh, like you're uh, alone. 
All right. Did I hit that right then? Tarkioni? Is that how you say it? Yeah, Tarkioni. That's okay. pretty good. Okay, yep. very good. All right, so talk to us about corn rootworm here. I know in the state of Illinois, had a lot of calls throughout the season here that the guys were seeing some rootworm pressure, definitely saw rootworm beetles later in the season. Was it just a bad year for rootworm overall? Well, we've uh, we've been on what I would consider to be kind of an upward trend in our rootworm population for the past three or four years. Um, we We did in the northern part of the state this year have an extremely dry spring and a relatively dry growing season and, and dry weather tends to be uh, pretty good for uh, rootworm hatch and larval survival. And so in, in certain parts of the states, especially northern Illinois, where we have a history of more corn on corn, uh, we've had a, a history of heavy rootworm pressure, and, and then we had a dry spring. We had um, extremely heavy uh, populations of rootworm larvae, lots of feeding, lots of beetles emergence. As, as you move south in the state, uh, it became a little more hit or miss, uh, primarily, you know, corn on corn uh, fields, but we are starting to see uh, an uptick in the first year variant again in the in the east central part of the state. So I would say compared to, you know, three or four years ago, uh, a lot of producers are experiencing heavier rootworm pressure than 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 what than what what they were seeing we're seeing a big uptick in our area in interest in smart stacks and definitely growers being a little more aware that the rootworm's a big issue i agree with you the dry year probably played into to some of that and, and made it show up just a little bit worse than than maybe it would have if we had had lots of rain what are you seeing with smart stacks demand in your area this year is that kind of one of the first steps that growers will go to to try and stop these things yeah, I mean, it's smart stacks has been, you know, our standard recommendation for several years as your front line of defense against against rootworms. So in, in my market, uh, which is more central Illinois, um, you know, we generally are planting smart stacks in our corn on corn fields or anywhere where we expect rootworm pressure. Um, we do have probably a few more growers that are that are, you know, thinking about um, moving back to smart stacks and in my market, uh, which is primarily rotated today, um, you know, we don't do as much corn on corn as the northern part of the state. Uh, we're primarily non-smart stacks today on rotated acres. There are a few growers that have continued to use smart stacks on rotated acres. I think there's a few more that are thinking about going back to smart stacks on rotated acres just, just in case next year's the year that they have rootworm pressure. But based on our beetle traps and soybean fields and monitoring for rootworm beetles on rotated acres, we don't see a big need for smart stacks on the rotated acre in, in my part of the state. Now, as you go east and northeast in the state, that's not necessarily the case. And, and then the heavy rootworm pressure issues in northern Illinois, generally we're on long-term continuous corn. The rotated corn acre, um, you know, we didn't see near the heavy pressure that we were on that continuous corn acre. Yeah, it's good to think about those rotations as you're making your plans for corn rootworms. Lance Tarchioni here with DeKalb Asgrove. Lance, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. 
Do you have crop failures due to flooding, drought, or another event? You may need to consider a better burndown regimen. Adding just two ounces of New Farm Panther SC to your tank mix not only provides faster results, it provides residual that lasts. You gain flexibility to keep your cropping options open. Ask your dealer for Panther SC and get Panther power in your tank. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improving drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Monday, January 31st, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or you're looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, NRCS guidelines, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details and to register, go to agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other AgPhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about corn rootworm resistance out there and how to manage corn rootworms better. They were definitely a big problem in 2021, and that often leads us to think, you know, they could be an even bigger problem next year if all those adult beetles laid eggs and all those eggs hatch, but you just never know. You never know how the weather's going to play out. We were just talking with Lance Tarchioni here with uh, DeKalb Asgore, and he was talking about how we had a dry year, and that kind of played into a lot of these rootworm beetles, or I'm sorry, rootworm larvae actually surviving, and then of course when the crop's under drought stress and maybe the root system's not quite as as uh, wonderful and, and able to pull in as many nutrients and everything else as you could on a wetter year, well that, that makes that pressure just hurt us even worse in terms of yield. Uh, let's talk to to somebody down in Iowa here. We get Bruce Battles with us with Syngenta, and I, Bruce, I know in Iowa, man, there were there were downed cornfields. There were just tons of or beetles flying around in the mid to late summer. You definitely had some pressure to fight there too. 
Yeah, it was it was pretty broad. Um, you know, I'd say uh, Iowa wasn't the only one, definitely, but uh, it was a uh, it was very recognizable this year, much more recognizable than than maybe in some of the past years. Now, one of the things I'd say we, we were talking a little bit about the smart stacks trait, and I know we had um, some comments Brian was making earlier, and also talked with Brandon Schrage, who's with the FMC, just about some of these stacked BT traits and how you definitely have to have a stacked trait. Syngenta probably doesn't get enough talk about the traits that that you're putting out. Can you talk to us a little bit about your rootworm trait platform? Yeah, we really have. Uh... We have a couple options, um, which is key, I think, uh, having a couple options in there because trait rotation, as you talk to any extension, um, you know, university extension information, they'll always mention the importance of, of rotating traits from year to year. And so with that, we have uh, we have offered, uh, you know, an AgriSure 30, uh, 3220, um, uh, 3122, which is a, is a dual mode of action rootworm hybrid uh with above ground protection as well, but uh, what we're we're really excited about is more recently we introduced an Agrisure Duracade hybrid to our lineup, and and what we're really what we think that brings a lot of value through is by not only bringing a second mode of action, but actually a new mode of action in the marketplace. If you look at across the industry, a lot of the stacked or pyramided traits that that you refer to, right, or they're using things that actually start as independent in uh, single traits at some point in time. So they were, they were out there and, and there was a high selection pressure from a resistance standpoint for several years on their own where Agrisher Duracade really started with a, with a clean slate in that aspect of, of one of the two traits in it only having a, out as a pyramid right from the get-go. Yeah, it can make a big difference. And you mentioned just rotating between traits. A lot of times we'll talk about rotating hybrids and those kinds of things. But kind of like with soybean cyst nematode, we've got so many nematode-resistant varieties that have the same exact uh, functionality in there, the same um, PI88788. Here we go. We've got traits like the chrome package that pioneers got with some of the same things that smart stacks got in it Duracade's a little bit different and it might be something to take a look at to to just spread your risk out and give those rootworms something they haven't seen before in a lot of these fields you know you also have force and and some great insecticide options too and when you pair up something like a Duracade and an insecticide boy there isn't too much that's going to get through that is there bruce you would like to think so, but uh, you know, it is a uh, rootworm is a dynamic pest, and one of the things about it, right? It's it's always found a way. It seems like, uh, and uh, you look back at the history of it. There was a lot of um, you know beetle beetle bombing, you might say, back in the you know using parathion and and some of those type of products that quickly form resistance. So we have to be careful, right, when we, when we think about that. But one of the nice things we do have is. We do have a lot of options within the Syngenta portfolio from not only from the traits perspective, but uh, soil applied. Um, we, you know, Force has been a strong brand for for a number of years, and uh, and it's held up really well. Um, and and they they've really come a long way in, in ability to deliver it through different practices. You know, on the planters, a liquid formulation through the Force Evo and. And, and here as well, a, a higher concentrated load of 4.6.5G, which really works well with some of the higher speed planting operations and those kind of things. But 
yeah, it, it's been nice to to have a, a full portfolio of things to to come at it from a from a seeds perspective as well as a, a crop protection standpoint. Yeah, you know, Brian also mentioned the volunteer corn, and I've seen a number of fields this year where guys harvested corn, and there's quite a bit of yellow on the ground out there. I know there's going to be a lot of volunteer corn, and that's another home in a in the soybean part of the rotation for these corn rootworms to get a start and, and may, maybe make it through their whole life cycle. How how critical is it that we spray the first time we go through the field with that volunteer corn herbicide? Well, definitely. I mean, even just from a weed management standpoint, right? I mean, uh, there's there's yield potential loss by doing that. And, and that's probably one of my biggest concerns when I see that. But uh, but you're right. I mean, the, the corn rootworm has evolved so many ways. And, and uh, we know it, it'll naturally on its own, right, uh, through um, some of the variant species we've seen, they'll, they'll actually go out and lay eggs and soybeans without any volunteer corn there, right? So, um, you know, some of this really late um, uh, late emerging volunteer corn, especially with some of the, the ones that got bigger, they were they had to be really attractive to, um, to beetles uh, as they were entering that egg-laying phase, the, the females. And and undoubtedly, they did move out into into some of those fields. I think that's why scouting is going to be critical in there as we go into to building out plans and for for what you're going to do for next year and have an understanding of that. And we saw a lot of volunteer corn through Iowa, unfortunately, last year at the Duress Show that moved through. And and uh, to your point, there was a lot of higher than normal populations of volunteer corn in a lot of soybean fields. So uh, it it. it those are definitely fields that, even though it might be first-year corn coming into it in your 2022 growing season, that better be on the radar. A lot of growers should be watch, watching out and building into their plan for managing. I sure think so. We're talking with Bruce Battles here with Syngenta, and, and Bruce has laid it out quite well. There's, It's not just one thing that you're going to do. You're not just going to say, oh, well, here you go, Duracade. That's just going to solve all my problems. There'll never be a corn rootworm again. No, it's uh, it's that. It's using some insecticide with the planter. It's making sure you take care of volunteer corn, paying attention to adult beetles, looking at what your rotations are going to be. A lot of things going into this. Uh, Bruce, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on and, and good luck here heading into the winter. Yeah, thanks for having us. You bet. Yeah, it's definitely gonna be a lot of planning going into corn coming up. And I, I like this approach. I like I like this brand that it's not just, oh yeah, I got a BT, I'm good, it's all over with. No, we've got to be really smart with our plan all the way from planting through spraying and even late in the season spraying. Yep. We do. And I would just say this, corn rootworm is a tough pest because we don't even realize we have a problem until it's way too late. There's no rescue treatment for corn rootworms. You have to do something early. And that's part of the reason we're talking about this today, because usually by the first part of December, most farmers in the United States have their seed corn booked. Well, if you're in the process of doing that right now, we'd encourage you take a look at something that's got a rootworm trait. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine, but you got to make sure you've got an insecticide plan because you're going to need boxes or some type of system, liquid system, to put insecticide on when you are planting. It's unbelievably important that you get corn rootworm taken care of. Now, here's the next thing. When we start looking at input costs, everybody is freaking out about input costs. Look, chemicals barely up over last year. I mean, sure, it's a little bit, but what, what's it going to be? Five or 10 bucks. Seed is virtually about the same as last year, maybe up 
2 to $5 an acre. It's almost nothing. It's really just fertilizer. Fertilizer is the only thing that's way up. Okay, so I'm not that concerned about my overall input costs other than the fertilizer side, and we just have to be more efficient on that fertilizer end. But where I'm going with this is if you're saying, well, I got to cut, I got to figure out a way to cut. Well, look, all we really care about is is whatever I'm spending my money on giving me, giving me a good return on investment. So I'm not saying that, oh, everybody has a major corn rootworm problem, but I am saying if you're in an area that raises a lot of corn, chances are you have some rootworms. And if you got corn on corn, I know for sure you have rootworms. So you've got to do something about it. All right, we're going to answer your questions coming up next in the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300 bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. 
Thanks for joining us. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We're going to dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag here. We've got one from Chris, and he said, Guys, I'm sending you some soil samples here. I've been listening to your podcast, and I'm kind of addicted here. Well, thanks, Chris. We appreciate that. He said, We've been soil testing for years, but haven't done much with them other than uh, a little flat rate lime. Well, I've recently started variable rating lime and planned a variable rate P and K in the spring. Just wonder if you'd look at this, see if you're, there's anything else you notice on these soil samples we should be doing. Uh, not looking to build the soil as much as to just even things out to get started with. Okay. Well, oh, and he said this is going to be soybeans next year. Okay. So where we always start is soil pH and he, the lowest he's got is 6.1. The highest he's got is 7.3. So he's really close. I'm not that worried about that. In terms of cation exchange capacity, it's around 12. So it's what we would call medium textured on the light side of medium textured. So certainly not bad, but if you have a long period of very dry weather, that's going to hurt you. A lot of our cation exchange capacities on our farm are 20, 25 plus. And this year, even with almost no rain, we still get tremendous yields. Where we had 12 CEC on our farm, uh, not so great. But anyway, the the main things that I see, first of all, potassium, 1.5% and only 80 parts per million. You're drastically low on potassium. The good news with that is any K you put on is going to pay in a big way. Same thing with phosphorus. You're at 15 parts per million, way too low to raise a good crop. Sulfur, you're at 15 parts per million, so you got to bump that at least a little bit. You don't have enough sulfur there for this next crop, most likely, so I would keep pushing that. And as I can say that also because you only have like 1.5% organic matter. Usually out of have high organic matter soils, we get a fair amount of sulfur, nitrogen, phosphate, but you have low organic matter, so you're just not going to get that. The other thing that I would encourage you to do is get a complete soil test. I'm missing copper and manganese, for example, that are unbelievably important for stock quality, disease tolerance, early plant health, good emergence. You're also missing sodium. Now, I'm not that worried about sodium in your medium textured soil, but nevertheless, we always tell people get sodium on your test results too, because if I don't know, maybe you put a whole bunch of manure on over the years or something and sodium is hanging around in your soil to cause a problem. But again, the odds that that's happening for you are, are pretty slim. But anyway, for all our listeners, I would just encourage you to get sodium on there. Uh, those are, I guess that's basically what I see. So you really have to bump the P and K and get a little bit of sulfur out there and then you should be in fairly good shape. But I would like to see how your copper and manganese levels are. All right. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate that, Chris. I uh, got a couple of quick hitters for you, Brian. Here comes RM. You said you guys are talking about herbicide breakdown in the soil, but I don't believe herbicides promote biodiversity. How important should biodiversity be on farms? Why don't they? Why don't they promote biodiversity? Yeah, I, I, I don't know why they don't promote biodiversity. So I- anyway... So if you're worried that, oh, we're going to uh, control a weed, so now we don't have biodiversity, yep, I guess that's just the way it is. If I'm going to make some money, you know, and that's, that's my goal on the farm is i got to make some money. So I want all the plants to be corn or yeah, all the plants to be beans or all the plants to be wheat. If you've ever had a garden and you just let the weeds go, 
you know what kind of crop you get. You get hardly any food. But, but if you pull the weeds, if you spray the weeds, whatever it is to get the weeds, I don't care if you use a herbicide or you pull them, it's the same difference. But You're taking those species out of, equa- out of the equation on that particular piece of dirt, and it's important. Otherwise, you can't get a crop. Yeah, but— You're I, not I, wiping I, every the reason, one of them off the face of the earth. The reason why I asked Aaron that question initially is there's nothing saying you can't be in a 10-crop rotation— because you've used herbicides. So it all depends on what your goal here is with this biodiversity thing that you're talking about. To me, biodiversity is, oh, I'm going to plant a different crop every year. But if you're talking about, well, I want 50 different plants to grow on the ground in one year at the same time, well, that's not going to be crop ground. And if it is, you're never going to make any money. All right. I got this one from MLD. And he said, there have been years where subsidies have kept farmers from going bankrupt. But, well, some farmers. But some of the subsidy programs now require you to not do tillage. I'm worried that the change in policy is going to make more risk for farmers. Okay, so almost 30 years ago on our farm, we had to switch some some acre. Well, we didn't have to, but we decided to switch about half of our farm to no-till because of what he's talking about there. It's the percent of residue that we needed to leave on the soil surface. And we were concerned that we wouldn't be able to do that with our crop rotation if we continued to do the type of tillage that we were doing. So you still can do tillage. It's just that in highly erodible lands, then you've got to leave a certain amount of residue out there. So erosion isn't as likely. Anyway, uh, the the choice is, if you want, you don't have to be in the government farm program. A lot of people are not in the government farm program. Uh, So, yeah, let's put it this way. Life isn't fair. The government isn't fair. The government doesn't know how to farm. And I don't don't expect that it's ever going to change that, oh, every single— government program that there is out there is going to be great for farmers with no drawbacks. So yeah, I, I'm not saying we sh- a person should be allowed to till or shouldn't be allowed to till. Look, it's a government deal. So I, I mean, I don't care. I'm just here to try to help you with whatever your situation is. You tell me your factors that you got to deal with, and then I'll try to help you raise the best possible crops and make the most money. And so that's kind of the way that I would look at the thing. And rather than looking at if, if for whatever reason you can't do tillage, I wouldn't necessarily look at that as a bad thing. I'd just say, okay, here's what I've got. Now I have to work with that. And you know what? There are a lot of super, super successful no-tillers out there. It's just maybe not what you are used to. Like our dad wasn't used to that at all. He originally came from north central Iowa where as a kid they moldboard plowed everything. Then they dissed, they field cultivated. They did everything possible to make sure that it, the ground was black there was no residue left out there whatsoever. So when we go to no-till, he about lost his mind. He just wasn't used to that. But the one good thing that I would say is after just one year and seeing some big rains, we could see side by side the difference in terms of erosion. We also were able to build up our soil a lot faster. Now, we had some problems doing doing straight no-till, and we've talked about that often on the show, what our challenges were, just cold soils and trying to get emergence in our cold climate. Plus, we didn't get our nutrients down deep enough. So you can get around those things if you really want to, but you have to farm a little bit differently, and I know change is a little scary, and 
it it takes time sometimes. So we just encourage you if you got questions specifically about whatever you need to do on your farm with whatever conditions are thrown at you, just let us know. We'll do whatever we can to try to help you. All right. Thanks for that. Uh, this one comes from Mark, and he said, as much as I would absolutely enjoy coming to see you guys at your upcoming classes in January or February, I won't be able to make that trip. Just wondering, will there be an online or streaming type option available? Yes. Yep. We'll have something, and we'll put out information on our website when the time gets closer. I'll just say South Dakota is one of the few states that never had any mask mandates Uh, nor are we intending to have one, so just the way that our politicians are here. So if you want to come to a place where you shouldn't have to worry about a lot of those things that are happening in other states, South Dakota is the place for you to go. All right, I got this one in from Craig in Zambia, Africa, and Craig said, uh, good afternoon, I I like your Ag PhD apps, but I don't think I'm able to use the Ag PhD Soils app. Is it any good to me in Africa? No, Craig, I don't believe so. I think I think that's more set up for this continent, not necessarily for yours yet. That's not saying that we won't expand that at some point, but but yes, at this point, uh, no, it isn't uh, isn't one set for you. But we still encourage it. Take good soil samples, and we'd recommend when you get started with it to start. On a small scale, we often will do one-acre grids on our farm to really understand the variance that's out in our fields and then do variable rate applications with our fertility. Now, I don't know exactly what size your farm is or what equipment you've got to work with and so forth, but if you've got specific questions around soil sampling, we would love to help. Just send them to us, radio at agphd.com. We'll be right back with more of your calls and questions after this. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? I'm Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answers to that question at a free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, and more. If you want to make raising soybeans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD Soybean Agronomy Workshop. 
Learn more at agphd.com. When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts. And nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 corn heads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates, and the new Drago GT features quad suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago corn heads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. back you're listening to ag phd radio thanks for joining us today I got this question in from yvonne in the ag phd mailbag who said i've got a grandson he's been raised on a farm unfortunately his father uh, died of a heart attack a few years ago and he really wants to get into farming someday and i see that you offer scholarships for students at some of your events just wondering what he needs to do to qualify uh, to have a shot to win some of those scholarships. Hey, thanks, Yvonne. We really appreciate that. Yeah, we do. Uh, we do events throughout the year, especially there's one that we do. At, if we get a date announced yet or or anything, Brian, for next year, we don't yet. Uh, just keep an eye at agphd.com in the events tab. Uh, we we typically do some sort of event geared towards college students. We've done it in the winter in the past. This last year with the the pandemic to consider, we did it outside in the summer and that was really good too. So still putting together our plans for this year's event. But yeah, just keep an eye out for that and and check in now and then on a radio show or our television program as well. And we'll announce those dates as soon as we get them set. Thank you. Really appreciate that. And good luck to, uh, to your grandson. All right, Brian, got uh, a Question: Did you want to do the sugar beet one or the soil tests? What soil? T- oh, just see, gave me some soil tests. Yes, there you go. Okay, yeah, I don't have is- an answer on the, okay. the sugar beet okay. question yet. This one is from George, and George is up in the Red River Valley in North Dakota. He said, "Guys, I got some soil test questions for you. Um, just wondering about my levels of P and K and other things I need to raise good yield. Just wondering what you think about these tests and what you would do if it was your farm." Okay. Well, it's very misleading on some tests that you get because just here's an example. So this one says that you are in great shape on potassium because you have 283 parts per million. But the problem is you have really high levels of calcium, 4,377 parts per million, and magnesium, 932 parts per million. So when you run the base saturation numbers on your soil test here, it says 2.4%. I can promise you 2.4% base saturation K is not going to get you maximum yield. You've got to bump up your K levels. Now, there is one of your your fields where even they say you're low on K, which thankfully they do, but you're at 78 parts per million and 1.1% base saturation K. So I was saying this a little bit earlier when we were answering questions. The only good news about that is even though fertilizer is expensive this year, any drop of K you put out there is really going to pay, at least for what your crop's going to remove and probably even then some. Um, so in terms of the phosphorus levels, 
here, here too, it's misleading. It says you're really high with 20 on an Olson test or 22 on an Olson test, even 13 on an Olson test. It's saying you're high. No way. You're not high. Let, let's just run the math. Let's simple math. Okay, so let's say we're at 22 parts per million. All right, so we, so we multiply that times 2 to get pounds per acre. So that gives me 44 pounds to the acre. Then we multiply that times 2.3 to get phosphate. That's 101 pounds of phosphate on a per acre basis. Let's see, do we have a yield goal? Did, it, did you see any, uh, let's see, I didn't have enough time to look at this. Was there, did he have, what, what crops you want? Oh, yeah, there it is. 120, okay, yeah, if we're only talking 120 bushel corn, you might have enough with that. But here, let me just run the numbers real quick. So in terms of fertilizer removal, I, I'm pulling up the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app, and I punch in 120 bushel corn. So phosphate, you need a grand total of 61 pounds. I just told you, you've got 101 pounds. Do we really think that our crop's going to be able to take 60% of all the phosphate out of the soil? Not a chance in the world. So I'm just saying you need more phosphorus. Now, if you don't want to get real carried away, like this year I know fertilizer's high-priced, you don't have to broadcast. So they're in, in on your sheet here, they're recommending broadcast applications. And that's fine. I'm, I'm not opposed to broadcast. We do a whole bunch of that. But then they also will say in here, banned. And that's something that I would probably recommend to you. At least this year, ban some, some phosphorus on with the planter. We use a product called ProGerminator. It's low salt, and we, we get real good response out of something like that. So whatever you do, I'm just telling you, if it's me this year, I, I'm probably going to ban if I can because fertilizer is so high-priced. Because when we band with phosphorus and potassium, we have a much better chance, especially in your heavy soil. I mean, you're talking 40 cation exchange capacity, and that's probably a little overstated. Uh, but you probably have in the range of 20 to 30 cation exchange capacity. But still, it's heavy ground. And the point is, phosphorus and potassium in that kind of ground, they aren't going to move much at all. So by placing these right in a band and close to where the plant will be, then the plant has a much better chance to bring them in this year so you can get by with less fertility applied this year. But yeah, the way I look at it, you're low on phosphorus and you're really low on potassium. All right. Thanks for the questions, George. Uh, I get this from Andrew. He said, I got two questions for you guys. First, Wanted to get my soil sampling done, but the weather had a different idea in mind. We've been very wet. I'm just wondering, do I need to wait till it dries out, or can you still pull soil samples when the ground is wet? Yeah, you can pull soil samples when the ground's wet. The biggest problem is just, number one, getting out there. Number two, pulling a representative sample. You don't want to have a mud ball, and you pushed all the, the, the dirt down and... and so you only got the top four inches instead of six or whatever. So yes, it can be done, but you got to be careful about getting that representative sample. Okay. So the second question, I noticed tar spots in my field real late this season. Oh, my plan is to run a disc ripper to hopefully bury the residue and hope it breaks down. Uh, should I shy away from planting corn back in this field next year? I wanted it to be one more year of corn before I rotated. Oh, I don't have any problem with you raising corn, but you got to be prepared to spray fungicide. So we were just talking earlier in the show about Zyway, and maybe you do that at planting, and then hopefully you can get by with one pass later on. Otherwise, for anybody that's concerned about tar spot, what we're suggesting they do is try to find varieties that are a little more tolerant, and then 
plan on two shots of fungicide. Now, maybe you don't have to do that, but I'd plan on it one pre-tassel and then right after tassel. Thanks for the questions. Get this from RL in Sri Lanka, who says, hey, I'm a huge fan of your show. Wondering, could you do more informational pieces about phytotoxicity of fungicides and insecticides? Do you have issues with that in your country? Not really, no. So, you know, with insecticide, I think about Lorsban and how there's some oils in there. And sometimes when you're mixing it with other things that are also hot, that can really heat up a mix. That would be one. So a lot of times yep. it's the... But since Lorsban's gone now, we don't have to worry well, about that Well, it's gone anymore. here. It's gone here. I don't know about all. Yeah, but he just, asked, he just asked in our country. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And then the fungicides, this, this was kind of interesting too when Headline first came out. They did have a phytotoxicity <laughs> issue, and that's why they hadn't released that that um, product, but but they tweaked the recipe to, to headline and they were able to add something in there to take care of that phytotoxicity. So yeah, it's it's possible that there are other products out there that haven't done that, but there certainly are good products where phytotoxicity isn't an issue with fungicides and insecticides. So you could look at some of the others. We've used a lot of the pyrethroid insecticides. We've seen less phyto with those. Uh, and then with the fungicides, again, it, it kind of depends on what you're mixing it with in some cases too. Yep. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. Uh, get this one from YD who said, how do you calculate how much boron you need for coconut trees? Would you worry about the trees or would you worry about just getting the soil to a certain level? I would probably worry about getting the soil to a certain level, but yeah, I'm I'm no expert on that in coconut trees, so I would I'd start experimenting and go from there. If you've got different trees, put on different levels, and then you're going to find out. Uh, it'll take a little bit of time, but you know, within a year or two, you're probably going to figure it out yourself. Yeah, and that's just one nutrient. Again, we always advise taking a complete soil analysis to see what's going on. Now, as I say that, and you're listening, you're probably like, well. I want somebody else to have run the experiments. Look, I don't know anybody that's done experiments with boron on coconut trees, so I can't help you there. Maybe if you scour the internet enough and then start calling some people who have done some research, maybe you'll find something out there. But otherwise, I'll just say this. A lot of what I have learned in agriculture has been learned through trial and error. Whether it was my trial and error or someone we're working with, their trial and error. So, I, you know, a lot of people, too, look at NP and K, and they don't do a whole lot with the micronutrients. So uh, as much as I would like to give you this great answer, I don't have it. I would just tell you, run some tests on your own farm and let us know what you find out. Hey, thanks for the question. We do appreciate that. And, you know, one person that does, that does get to work with some of those unusual crops like coconuts, it's not the big acre crop around the world, is Neil Kinsey. And you can find more information at kinseyag.com or get his book, Hands-On Agronomy. Or he's going to be here at Baltic doing a workshop in February. So go to agphd.com to learn more about that. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. 